Hello and welcome to Canvas, an FBI radio podcast unframing art and ideas. My name is Aisha Rash and I am the host of Canvas. Today's episode was recorded on Gadigal and Cabrigal lands where sovereignty was never ceded. We've got another episode for you today where we feature Canvas alumni guests. Today, your host is David Capra in conversation with Abdul Abdullah. David and Abdul were both hosts for Canvas and are both renowned multidisciplinary artists. David is known for his work inspired by his muse, Dashound Tina. David and Tina have a long-standing history of creating socially engaged projects that make the world feel a little less lonely. Abdul is a self-described outsider amongst outsiders. With a post-9-11 mindset, his practice is primarily concerned with the experience of the other. Abdul's projects have engaged with different marginalised minority groups, and he is particularly interested in the disjuncture between perception, projection of identity, and the reality of lived experience. In today's episode, you'll hear David and Abdul talk about what they've been up to during COVID and their recent work. Plus, the reality of being an artist and graduating from the, as Abdul calls it, art school fantasy. Hello, I'm David Capra, and uh, for those new to Canvas, I'm hosting a sort of reunion today with Absi, or Abdul Abdullah, who... um, (laughs) We used to co-host together back in, when was it? Do you remember? I think we started in 2015. Right, yeah. And we did it for like three years or something. What have you been doing this year? Well, it's been tricky, like everyone with COVID and, and the majority of my shows. I've had the privilege of, since 2017 that most of the shows that I do have been overseas. But since the beginning of 2020, that all came to a bit of a screaming halt. So I started COVID. I had a show in New York at the Armory Show. And then went to LA with intentions of going on to another show in Berlin. But that's when COVID hit. I was kind of just stuck in a hotel for five days in LA trying to get a flight back. And then as soon as I could get a flight back, I shot back. And then everything kind of went into hiatus. But this year in 2021, I've been able to have a couple of decent shows, like one in Perth. And they've been really lucky as my family is. But it's like they've never had COVID over there. So they got to have a show up. And then two weeks ago or a week ago, I had a show in Shanghai with Patricia Piccinini, a two-person show at Westbund Art Fair. Incredible. Yeah. It's amazing that you have stayed motivated during this time. It's been really tricky. I mean, I basically was stuck in the house and hadn't seen anyone for close to six months, actually, except for some Cabramatta shopkeepers. I live in Fairfield, which is where the lawless and the real menaces of Sydney live, if you listen to the media. But I was really pleased with myself. I sat down on my sofa and I looked at the wall and I was like, that wall needs painting. And then before you know it, I had turned the house into this post-modern Memphis showroom. That's awesome. It's been like an artwork and all-consuming and um, I still am only kind of halfway through it. And then also I did a few talks with some art school students with performance artist Anastasia Close. And they were really vulnerable conversations. In fact, I think I went to bed after them because I was just so exhausted. We wanted to really use the opportunity to tell art students what we would have liked to have known in art school about the the art world, you know, and how things work. And we talked on like the, you know, the transactional nature of relationships in the art sector, relationships with curators or collectors, which is a difficult thing to to understand at times, you know, as an artist, you might be working 
with unprocessed trauma, yet to have the expectation that an art collector will be able to kind of meet with you where your work is at, understand what it is that you are going through with your work. It can be very different. I mean, it might be champagne time for the the, the collector or it might be about status or ownership. How do you manage that? Because you deal with some personal things in your work and how do you manage it when it comes to an audience do you get the response you always want certainly not like I've got really bad responses and well that was the end of my 2019 when George Christensen saw my work and was very offended by it and it ended up being removed from an exhibition in Mackay and I got all sorts of nasty things yes. happen but that's that's an extreme example but like a quite a consistent thing that happens with my practice getting into that sort of trouble about how I deal with like the relationship with collectors and curators and things, the way that internalize it and rationalize it for myself and reconcile things is I separate the idea from the object. So for me, the ideas that I engage with and I'm trying to communicate, they live on digitally or they in classrooms. Like I'm lucky enough to be on the school curriculum, I think in Queensland, WA and New South Wales. And it's the young people who I'm thinking of when I make the work and I'm helping, hoping to articulate some of the concerns that they have or speak to some of that shared experience. And when it comes to a collector, who often I don't have that much to do with, like especially in terms of an economic sense, like an economic experience or a social experience, like we have less shared experience. We have some, but not we have less shared experience. They're buying a physical object mm. that, and those funds then go on to support me making more ideas. But the idea itself and the way I communicate the idea exists elsewhere. So that's how I can kind of pass the two. You know, so it's not denying the commercial aspect of my work. It's really important and I need to be able to do it to continue doing what I do. But, but first off, I'd want to say that the, that conversation which you and Anastasia had with, with these art students, I think that's so valuable. And without, I don't want to sound paternalizing or patronizing, I might here, but like I think when you were in art school, when I was in art school, you're kind of taken up by this art, what I've been calling recently this art school fantasy about what being yeah. an artist is and mm. you know what you can do and what your work means and the effect that it will have or that, that sort of thing. And the hard reality that hits when you're out in the real world, so to speak, uh, if that's what, what we do is, uh, it, it can be pretty daunting for people. So I think to get that insight early is, yeah. I think, really, really I, important and valuable. I agree. I mean, it's been really interesting. A lot of the art students have raised the issue of class and how that plays into being an artist. And many of them have said that being at art school is the first time they've really encountered uh, the idea and the concept of class. Also that the, the body becomes branded if you're a performance artist, but you're, you know, you, you as an artist become branded. And it's a really tricky thing to, to work through. Well, that would be fascinating because like my experience in undergrad, this is going back to Perth, mind you, Yeah. Uh, like where cl when class came into it, because the majority of the art students that I did undergraduate with were sort of upper middle class who didn't really think about it. Like they yes. had the freedom and privileges to sort of uh, decide to do art and then maybe try something else and for whatever reason, um, they'd go and work at their father's firm over the summer and that sort of stuff, which just wasn't. <laughs> an option for someone like me and some other people. Can you tell us about what baby Absie looked like? Like what were you doing in high school and then how did you end up at university? 
Oh, so I went, I grew up in an area in Perth called East Cannington. So it's the equivalent of the Western suburbs in New South Wales. Uh, and it was kind of quite a rough area, but I went to, a, I went to a public school still, but it had a special art program. So it was, it, I had to apply for it to, in the beginning of high school to get in and it meant I could do extra art classes. So I had that advantage, but it was like the school was an hour away from where I lived. So I was like, would catch a couple of buses or a train and a bus, go through the city, et cetera, to get to where I was. But it, it was sort of, I was like a little bit like rough around the edges, brown kid from East Cannington going to this school, which is a public school, but it's in a really nice area. Uh, and I was a boxer. So I boxed all through school and stuff like that. But not to unpack it too much, but it was like during high school, 9-11 happened. There was big social changes, big changes in perception of the Muslim community in, in Australia and around the world. Uh, so there was a lot of anger, to be honest. I was an angry little bit violent young person not to any extreme it's something that i only reconciled really as an adult as i could articulate these things uh, as i came to understand them and to understand my context a bit uh, and even when i was at art school like i look back i've got a horrible and very embarrassing and cringy video of my third year crit where it's just confrontational the whole time and that was my experience of undergrad it was adversarial it was like it was like a gauntlet where i was like this angry kid from a particular suburb uh like pushing up against everything but so stubbornly focused on wanting to be an artist and when i was at art school i worked at a boxing gym uh, so i wasn't fighting anymore but still worked at a boxing gym and i felt like i was too boxing gym for art school and when i was at the boxing gym i was way too art school so like it was always oh, <laughs> always no. a foot oh. in both camps can you tell me a little bit about the works that you've put in the Art Gallery of Western Australia at the moment? Yes, I've got three works there. They're part of a similar series. So there's two which are ocean scenes with one with text over it and one with two people wrestling. And then a third image, which is a image of a bushfire. So they're all oil paintings. And the bushfire painting over the top of it, it says, can't see the forest for the fires. So playing around with that idiom, can't see the forest for the trees. But then looking at Australia's response to, to, to climate change, the, like the big bushfires from 2020 the, and the sort of governmental lapses that led to it being much bigger than it should have been. The other work, uh, other text work, which is over ocean, it says, go home, British soldier. And it's actually a misremembered lyric from a Wolf Tones song. So the Wolf Tones are an Irish song, but really like an like an Irish rebel song. So very much anti-British. And the and the full lyric is "Go on home, British soldier, go on home. Have you got no bloody home of your own?" I first heard that song, funnily enough, on a podcast that was uh, interviewing Kurdish resistance fighters fighting the Turks, and they were listening to Irish rebel songs and Italian anti-fascist songs to pump them up and for me there was like this connection this global connection with this the idea of put resistance and pushing against it like a greater force and then I thought about my own familial history where my family in Malaysia on my mother's side like my ancestors the book in the Bugis tribe there had waged war or declared war on the British the Portuguese and the Dutch over different time periods so the work is called and the Portuguese and the Dutch and I sort of talked about that podcast in the in my in my artist statement. Talked about my family history and that sort of thing, and tying it into an Australian experience. And I bring that one up in particular because I got a, a message from a friend of a friend who happened to be at the gallery the other day, and they were looking at the paintings when an uh, an elderly audience member came into the space 
and demanded that the work be taken down because this is a British colony and doesn't the artist know and what is he doing here in this country? And it's funny because it's quite, in my opinion, quite an innocuous thing. Like that song has existed for longer than I have, but they, but people will take that, they'll take the combination of my name and that symbology. They won't read the artist statement and they'll see it as threatening. And, And that's been an ongoing experience in my practice. Thank you for listening to another episode of Canvas, Unframing Art and Ideas. And thank you to David Capra and Abdul Abdullah for sharing their stories, their thoughts and their ideas. This episode was brought to you by our fabulous team. Executive producer, Michelle Tsao, producer and audio editor, Kanika Kerpalani, researcher, Elena Zorowski, and me, your host, Aisha Ash. Our intro music was made by Jackie DeLacy. Canvas is an FBI radio podcast. If you like what you're listening to, hit subscribe, leave us a review and share this podcast with someone you love. Check out our Instagram at canvas underscore 94.5 FBI for more great art content and show updates. Kia paitara, have a good day.